today. Please open your Bibles and go through these things with me. I'm going to be reading a, a lot right now from the Amplified Bible. I'm going to be referring also with the King James in just a moment. But <clears throat> I wanted to read this to you in 2 Corinthians 9, beginning in verse 6. <clears throat> and I would like you all to read this with me. Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says, remember this, he who sows sparingly and grudgingly will also reap sparingly and grudgingly. And he who sows generously that blessings may come to someone will also reap generously and with blessings. Let each one give as he has made up his own mind and purposed in his heart. Not reluctantly or sorrowfully or under compulsion. For God loves. He takes pleasure in. Listen to this. Prizes above other things. And is unwilling to abandon or do without. A cheerful, joyous, prompt to do it giver. Whose heart is in giving. <clears throat> Now, the Amplified just kind of opens up the Greek in that. And I just want to say that again. God loves, takes pleasure in, prizes above other things, is unwilling to abandon or do without a cheerful giver. Isn't that great? Wow. I, I just pray that will stir your faith up for that. And, verse 8, God is able to make all grace. How many of you love grace? Man, listen to that. God is able to make all grace, every favor and earthly blessing come to you in abundance so that you may always and under all circumstances and whatever the need be self-sufficient, possessing enough to require no aid or support and furnished in abundance for every good work and charitable donation. <clears throat> As it is written, he, the benevolent person, scatters abroad. He gives to the poor. His deeds of justice and goodness and kindness and benevolence will never go on, will go on and endure forever. And God, who provides seed for the sower... And bread for eating will also provide and multiply your resources for sowing and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Which manifests itself in active goodness, kindness, and charity. This just kind of goes back to the fact that God loves a cheerful giver. And that means that God will not abandon or do without a cheerful giver. He will make sure. Verse 10 also tells us it is God who provides the seed. It is, And so when a person is sowing their seeds joyfully and giving, God is going to continue to provide seed for you to give. Because God loves this. And then he says in verse 11, Thus you will be enriched in all things and in every way, so that you can be generous. And your generosity, as it is, administered by us, will bring forth thanksgiving to God. For the service that the ministering of this fund renders does not only fully supply what is lacking to the saints, God's people, but it also overflows in many cries of thanksgiving to God. 
So I just want you to see this. Now, as you're glancing at that scripture that we just read, I would ask you to take notice of the word grace. I would ask you to take notice of the provision of God. And I would ask you to take note of a relationship. Now, some people will take this scripture and they will abuse it and they will twist it and they will try to use this now for an advantage of making money. That is not what this scripture is about. It is a scripture that is about relationship with God. It is a relationship with God where God furnishes to the giver so that through the giver, God can demonstrate his acts of goodness and benevolence and kindness upon people, especially the saints. And when God has a relationship with somebody who is a giver and they're doing this joyfully, God delights in that person. God will not do without that person and God will continue to give seed to that person for the purpose of continuing to express the goodness and generosity of God in the world today. And what is that going to cause people to do? It is going to cause people to give thanks to God. That's your giving is to cause people to give thanks to God, not to thank you because God gave it to you, right? And so our giving is to demonstrate the benevolence of our father who makes it possible. Now that's God's desire. And when a person is in a relationship with God, then that is the outflow of that. And I just want you to notice that. Now, what's the context of this scripture? Why is Paul writing this to the people and what does he want them to know? And this is very important. So I want you to go back to verse 1. And I want you to see this in 2 Corinthians 9, 1. Now about the offering that is to be made for the saints, God's people in Jerusalem. It is quite superfluous or superfluous for some people that may know that. It is quite superfluous that I should write to you. For I am well acquainted with your willingness, your readiness and eagerness to promote it. And I have proudly told about you to the people of Macedonia. I bragged on you, saying that Achaia, most of Greece, has been prepared since last year for this contribution. And consequently, your enthusiasm has stimulated the majority of them. Still, I am sending the brothers on to you, lest our pride in you, our boasting in you, should be made empty in this particular case. And so that you may be all ready, as I told them you would be, lest if any Macedonian should come with me and find you unprepared, because you've been saying you're going to do this, and they find your generosity is unprepared. We, to say nothing of yourselves, would be humiliated for our being so confident in you. That is why I thought it necessary to urge those brothers to go to you before I do and make arrangements in advance for this bountiful promised gift of yours so that it may be ready, not as an extortion. I don't want to wring this out of you, but as a generous and willing gift that you wanted to give. And so that is the thing. I don't believe giving should ever be manipulated. I would never come up here. I pray I would never come up here, have anybody who would and say, if you give a hundred dollars, God's going to heal you, you know, or if you give a thousand, God's going to give you 10. I don't know what God's going to give you. That's up to God. I know you don't buy things from God. 
You believe things from God, but you don't buy anything from God. But we have to understand there's a partnership here with the Lord that is absolutely beautiful. And so I want to speak to you this just a few moments this morning about it. The treasures of grace. Now, a lot of times when preachers talk about giving, they meet, people immediately begin to think he's after my money again. I'm not after your money. I don't want your money. God does not need your money. I mean, really, do you think principalities and powers, whether they be of God or whether they be of hell, actually care at all about the $10 in your pocket or the million dollars in your bank account? Do you really think that matters to them? It does not. There is a relationship that is all important. It is a relationship, a partnership with God that God wants to happen in our life. And so please understand this, that neither God nor the devil is after your money, but they're after your purpose. And your provision is not your purpose. And so a lot of times we may assume that it is our provision being money. That is not your purpose. And you know that. I mean, why do you even work? Why do you go to jobs, some of you, that you don't like? To do work that you hate. To grow weary and tired of it so you can have an enjoyment on the weekend that you're too exhausted to enjoy. Because you gave your best time to the company. Why do you do that? You do it with the anticipation that I'm going to get a provision for my work. And through that provision, I'm going to be able to have a house or I'm going to be able to have a car or I'm going to be able to provide for my family and put food on the table. So even you guys know that what you're working for in regards to your provision is not your purpose. Your purpose is what that provision is going to mean to you. And it's the same thing with God. Your provision is not your purpose. Your provision is just simply an opportunity to live for something that is much higher than the carnal and temporal things of this world. You don't waste your life where you work. You waste your life in regards to why you work. And if some of you are living your life... And you think that you're an engineer, or you think you're a school teacher, or you think you're a salesman, or you think you're a laborer, or you think you're an assistant, or you think you're an accountant, and that's what you define yourself as, then you're probably wasting your life while you work. But if you understand that I'm an ambassador of Jesus Christ, and people who stand in a pulpit are not more valuable to me than God, that that people who get to sing on the platform and work on the stage, or get to work work in a church office or get to go to Pakistan, those are God's favorite, then you have mistaken the whole thing. God invites all of us into his storehouse of grace. He invites all of us into a relationship with him that can cause our lives to thrive in such a way that the people that are living around you will actually give thanksgiving to God when they witness the benevolence of God that is coming through your life. And God will supply you and God will be blessed by you because of your giving. And so this is the purpose of your life. The purpose of your life is being a partner with God and having God work through your life. And you having the joy to be an expression of his goodness to other people. And that's the purpose of your life, to honor and glorify God in every way. And so Paul writes this letter to the Corinthians because he says, listen, I'm coming to you to receive your gifts that you promised. 
But before I get there, just in case you forgot or you're not ready, and I don't want to be embarrassed with the Macedonians, I've got some people coming before me to get your giving in order, and I still don't want any of you to do anything you don't want to do. If you don't want to do it, don't do it. If you don't want to give, don't give. If you don't want to tithe, don't tithe. If you don't want to give offerings, don't get offerings. If you don't want to give to missions, don't give to missions. But don't come around blaming God for the lack of grace that's on your life. You don't have to do those things, but you also don't have to be the recipient of God's choice blessings in your life. Now, this is a relationship with God. I remember when I was a child... I was about, I don't know, I guess I was about six, seven years old. I started getting interested in making some money. I started mowing yards in my neighborhood about seven years old and just trying to make some money. Came across this guy on TV that I just was drawn to him. His name was Rex Humbard. And I was just drawn to him. And he was talking about God and missions and the world and things that they were doing. And I'm just seven years old. I said, I want to support that guy. I want to mow yards so I can have an offering to give. And I want to give to that ministry. So I started to give to that ministry. I gave every month. It was a joy of mine. And I just gave. And he sent me literature back. And I was just so excited. Like, man, I'm really a part of something here. I'm seven years old. And I'm reaching the world for Jesus Christ. And I was just so thankful for that. But I also began to realize as I got older that that was stewardship in my life. God was trusting me with carnal things. And if I would be faithful in carnal things, God would trust me with greater things. He would begin to trust me with spiritual inheritances and to be able to do things on a spiritual level for him. And so God trained me for that, but I was very excited about it. And I continued to support Rex for quite some time until he changed my spelling of my last name. And you can go from there to think what it might have been. And when he couldn't spell my name right anymore, I just thought I'm going to put my money somewhere else, you know. And so that's what I began to do. But this was a relationship and I was so excited about it. And I'm still excited about giving. You know, when I think about Jeff's Nights of Hope, I'm just like, man, I'm glad I get to give into that. I'm glad I get to do. I don't need to see a soul saved. But I just know that God's graciousness is going to be demonstrated through his ministry. I get to give to that. I love my friend and I get to support that. And it's just like, I'm so excited. And, and, and some of you guys, when we forget to take an offering up, you're coming and telling, hey, you forgot the offering today. I just love you. You know, that's just, that's just great. I mean, that's what strong churches are built upon. That people who have this relationship with God and they're excited about doing it and giving to the Lord. So I want you to go to Hebrews 13 now. And I I don't want you to forget 2 Corinthians 9. We may visit it again before we finish. But in, in Hebrews chapter 13, I want you to see this because I just want to describe to you your purpose. And he says in Hebrews 13, 5, let your character or moral disposition be free from the love of money. You can just begin to pray that right now. Lord, let my character and moral disposition be free from the love of money. Including greed, various lust, and craving for earthly possessions. And that's me. I need to be free of that. That is me. And I need to be free of that. It's not to say that having these things are bad. But man, when I crave that, God deliver me from it. It's all going to burn up. 
and be satisfied with your present circumstances and with what you have. For he, God himself, has said, I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not. I will not. I will not. He says it three times in the Amplified. In any degree, leave you helpless, nor forsake you. I will not let you down. I will not relax my hold on you. Assuredly not. So, we take comfort and are encouraged and confidently and boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not be seized with alarm. I will not fear or dread or be terrified. What can man do to me? And so I want to say this to you, and I just appeal to you on regards of the jealousy of God. Listen to me. And I'm talking about relationship and purpose. How many of you here have a jealousy in your life that God's glory may come forth from you. That something about your life, something about the way you live, would cause God, would cause people to rejoice in God. Now, in understanding that, it is not uncommon for Christian people to involve themselves in things that they feel capable of doing. They feel confident in their ability to do this. I can invest myself in this way. That's why sometimes for a church, you know, we might say, Hey, would you fast a meal a month? And would you take that money that you would have spent on lunch, put it in an envelope, and give it to missions at the end of the month? Most people would say, I can do that. Why do we present it that way? Because The church understands that people do not necessarily have or are willing to operate in a greater faith. Let's say there's a mission that is going on in Turkey. They need $250,000 by April in order to bring the gospel. Now, will you step up and do Something so grand, so beyond you, so absolutely impossible. Most people won't even hear of it. Don't even entertain that. I don't have that kind of money. I struggle to pay my bills from month to month. I can barely scrape a little bit of money together to give to missions at the end. There's no way I can do that. Therefore, our lives at the end of the day... Are not a life that is crying out to people. It's because the Lord's my helper. But yet now our lives are just simply saying. I live within my means. I live within my means. This is how much money I make. This is how much money I give. These are my expenses. So I can give this much in offerings. I can give this much in alms. And so this is it. And when people look at our lives. They're just like okay. 
Okay, this is what you do. This is what you make. This is what you earn. So you're living within your means, you know. Yeah, I, some some other people that might be lost, and I'm not saying people who do this are all lost, but um, some people might say, well, you know, and I, I buy season tickets to the LSU games. I buy season tickets to the basketball games. Or I, I've got this and I've got that. And you like to give your money to the church. That's fine. I give my... And we're not doing anything different than nobody else in the world does. We're doing the same thing as where I choose to get, but, but how about doing something in faith that is so glorious, so impossible that you know only by God is this going to be accomplished. And then all of a sudden it's accomplished and people come up to you and say, how in the world did you do that? You've got to tell me, how did you do that? And all you can say is the Lord's my helper. The Lord did it. The Lord did it. I, I, I am, I am so burdened. I, I'm such a part of a great family of God and we're doing so much in our church for Jesus Christ and I just want to see it thrive. And so I just partnered with God and I said, Lord, I, I'm just trusting in your blessings on my life and the seeds that you give me, I'm going to sow. And Lord, you just keep supplying the seeds and man, I'm living in the most exciting moment of my life with God because I'm watching God do things in my life that I can't explain and people are seeing it. And they know I am incapable of that. And the only thing I can tell people when they ask is, God's my helper. He's doing it. Hey, church, how about doing some things this year that only God can accomplish? How about living a way this year that only God can do it? And, and when people see it done, you, you can only say, God is my helper. God did this for me. And, and isn't that what Paul is telling us in Hebrews about this? He says, listen, don't live discontented lives. Don't think that money is your answer or money is your satisfaction. Or if you can get this and you can get that, don't live craving the things of this world. But let, but, but be content with such things as you have because he said, so what is it that you have? Be content with such things as you have. Well, it's not my, it's not my house. It's not this building. It's not this carpet. It's not these pews. It's not this pulpit. It's not my automobile. It's th- those aren't the thing because he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. You know what I have? I have a God who will never abandon me. That's my contentment. I have a God who will always provide for me. That's what I got. And so when people want to ask about my resources and my supplies, how big is our church? How much money do we bring in a year? Sit down. Let me tell you about my God, because it's as vast as him and whatever he wants us to do, it will be done. And I just have the joy of walking with him. And do you know, we've literally had people ask us in other places, how does your church do what it does? I mean, that testimony is coming out of us. And all I can tell them is God's our helper. I have no idea. I have no idea how we're seeing God doing the things that we see God doing. But thank the Lord, it is the Lord and it is the power of his might that is doing it. So I want you to see this. And I want to go back to 2 Corinthians 9. And I just want to ask you this. And I want to see it. Because not everybody is living in such a way that they can say the Lord is my helper. Everybody wants God to be their helper. But they're not living in such a way that they can say it. And I pray that that will change for us because it's a relationship and it's a thing of faith. So I'm going to ask you this and I'm just going to, I just want to ask you to believe this. And if you have trouble believing it, just begin to pray right now that God will help you to believe his word. Verse six, 
This I say, he which sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He which sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Every man, according as he's purposed in his heart, let him give. Not grudgingly or of necessity, God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. So just stop right there. And I humbly ask you guys, do you believe that? Do you believe it? Because if you believe that, then you must believe verse 6. Because anybody can sit here and say, I believe verse 8, but I don't do verse 6. And faith without works is dead, right? So if I say I believe verse 8, I must be doing verse 6. And to the degree of that, now we don't command people to give particular things. We don't compel you to give certain amounts. We don't come up in your business and and deal with you on whatever basis it is. But it's just enough to know that if God is able to make all grace abound to... I love grace. And I want all grace abounding to me. And that God is telling me that I could be in a position with God. Now listen to this. This is verse 8. I can be in a position with God. This is my purpose. The provision's not my purpose. But this is my purpose, that I can be in a relationship with God and all grace is abounding to me. And I always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work, excites me to such a point that I look at verse 6 and say, I will not give sparingly. I will not. I want to give, I, I, I want to give out to God in a bountiful way on the basis of relationship. I'm not trying to buy anything from God. I'm not trying to buy anything from God. We might do without. We might lose a lot this year. There might be a lot of provisions that we've been used to living in as Americans living like kings that we might not live in anymore. And we might be going to God and saying, God, I've been giving my tithes and offerings to you. And now I don't have running water anymore. And our air conditioners don't work. And we can't get the backup parts for our air conditioner. Our car's broke down. I can't even go get a new car. And God, here I am. I've been given to you. And I've been trusting you and all grace is abounding to me and all of this and I, they they turn my cable off i can't afford cable anymore god what kind of relation i'm not i'm not talking about that carnal stuff i'm talking about a relationship with god that in every regard of your life to bring you fulfillment and joy in jesus christ and to do things through you that are so mighty that all you can say is god is my helper that god is going to abound to you he's going to feed you he's going to clothe you he's going to take care of you he's going to watch over you and it may not come the way you want it to come but brother it's going to come and god is going to be there and when the world is falling apart god is going to be there and i'm bringing this message to you this morning because i think 2022 can be a shake up year i really do i think 
people are in for a rude awakening. I think times are going to be very difficult. I think Christians could actually face physical persecution. I think all these types of things that are going to go on can go on. And I want to posture myself in a relationship with God that, Lord, I'm not asking you for cable. I'm asking you for a relationship with you, God, that you give me the abundance of heaven upon my life. God, if I have to sit in a prison cell because I'm not willing to stop preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, I want you with me in that prison cell. God, if I have to take care of my family and my children in ways I've never known how, I don't know the first thing about farming. I can't grow a tomato. God, how am I? People have asked me that before. How in the world are you going to survive in a world like that, Lee? I said all the squirrels are going to die first. Then I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do, you know. But I don't have to worry about it. I've got a God who won't forsake me. That's my contentment. I mean, really, that's my contentment. I can shoot. I can shoot. I practice shooting lizards. I can do it. I believe with all of my heart that God takes this into account. And one of the reasons I, we as a church live to care for other churches and other pastors and other ministries and for one another. We gave over $60,000 in benevolence to each other this year. Sixty Over 60000 That's beautiful. You know, God sees that. And you know what God says? He says, you don't love in word. You do it in deed. And you do it in truth. And I watched you do it. And I watched you care for one another. And I watched you pray for one another. And then we reach out beyond ourselves. And we reach out to other churches both locally. Every Tuesday we have a. uh, The second Tuesday of every month. We have a fellowship for community ministers. And approximately 40 right now are coming. And I I long for the day when it's 140 that are coming. And we're just able to minister to them. And love them. And try to help them understand God in a more beautiful way. And it's just a privilege for us to have fellowship and friendship with them. And I know with all of my heart that God looks at that. And God sees that. And I understand that. And I know that there's a lot of churches that get their committees together and they get their board of financiers together and they begin to look, well, what can we afford to do this year? I've never done that in 36 years. I have never gotten together with a board of financial people and say, what can our budget support? What's the budget? I mean, good night. He's the budget. I mean, come on. I'm going to sit around and say, can we have 40 people come once a month and it's going to cost us $500 to feed them every time? Can we afford that? No, God, do you want to do that? Because you'll take care of it. I don't have to worry about all those other things. You know, God, God supports it and he takes care of it and he works through it. And you just got to hear God and you got to walk with God because it's a relationship with the Lord. And it's just so exciting to do. And I believe the Lord sees that you're taking care of people. You're giving, you care for the poor. I see it. You're joining me. I'm not going to let this go beyond me. I'm going to give attention to it. And I just want to give you some scriptures to reinforce this. Please read it with me in the book of Acts. If you will, chapter 10, I want you to see this comment. This is a man, he's lost, he doesn't know Jesus. And the Bible says there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, he's a centurion. Verse 2 says he's a devout man, he fears God with all his house. He gave much alms to the people and he prayed to God always. 
That is a lost man. And he saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and said to him, now listen to what he said. When he looked on him, he was afraid and he said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms are come up for a memorial before God. You know what he's saying there? This angel visits Cornelius on this basis. God remembers your prayers and God remembers your giving. And God visited this man and brought salvation to his house. And he's a lost man. So what was the motivation of this lost man and his giving and praying? I know that there's a God. I don't know who he is, but I fear him. And I just believe this God's benevolent. And I want to give and I want to help people. And I know God knows it. And, and his faith was acting. And God reached out to him, brings Peter over there, introduces him to Jesus Christ. Absolutely beautiful. Galatians chapter 6. Listen to this. In Galatians 6, I'm reading out of the Amplified here. In Galatians 6 verse 6. Let him who receives instruction in the word of God share all good things with his teacher, contributing to his support. Do not be deceived and deluded and misled. God will not allow himself to be sneered at, scorned, disdained, or mocked by mere pretensions or professions. Or by his precepts being set aside. He inevitably deludes himself who attempts to delude God. For whatever a man sows, that and only that is what he will reap. For he who sows to his own flesh, lower nature, sensuality will from the flesh reap decay and ruin and destruction. But he who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart and grow weary and faint in acting nobly and doing right. For in due time and at the appointed season we will reap if we do not lose and relax our courage and faint. And so what you sow is what you're going to reap. You sow to the Spirit, you reap of the Spirit. I wonder a lot of times, you know, Pastor Clendenin and others like him, just hall, hallmarks of the faith, great men of God would travel. They would travel land and sea. They'd travel all, all through the night to go to another country and preach to 50 people. And then you have some of these people that you see on TV that don't, don't even understand salvation properly and they get hundreds of millions of dollars a year. Why? And, and, and those are the ministries that you see more and more on TV or those that you don't see more and more of Clendenin's ministries on TV. Why? Because the people give to that and they don't give to Clendenin. They don't give to those types. Of, you don't give to those types of Wilkerson ministries. You don't give to those types of Raven Hill ministries. Instead, we give to other types of ministries that maybe make us feel good, maybe make us look good and feel good about ourselves. And therefore, look what we reap in our society and in our country. You know, we turn this around. And so we begin to minister that. God sees it. Back in Hebrews, if you will, chapter 6. The Bible teaches us this. In Hebrews 6, verse 10. He says this. For God is not unrighteous to forget or overlook your labor and the love which you have shown for his name's sake. And ministering to the needs of the saints. His own people. As you still do. 
But we do strongly and earnestly desire for each of you to show the same diligence and sincerity all the way through in realizing and enjoying the full assurance and development of your hope to the end. In order that you may not grow disinterested and become spiritual sluggards. But imitators, behaving as those who through faith, by their leaning of the entire personality on God in Christ, in absolute trust and confidence in His power, in His wisdom and in His goodness, and by practice of patient enduring and waiting are now inheriting the promises. Keep doing good. God is noticing it. God is watching it. Don't stop. Don't faint. Don't grow weary in it. God's going to bring you fruit. God is recognizing it. And if Cornelius was here, he'd jump up and say, that's what he did for me. That's what he did. The angel came to my house and said, God's remembered all of your alms, Cornelius, and your prayers. And God came to me. And I believe there are others who could jump up and testify. God remembered me. God remembered me. God remembered me. I never met a person who said, you know, from the day I started tithing and offering, I've been cursed with a curse. Never met a person say that. But I've met a lot of people who said, since I started giving and entered a relationship with God, not as a means to try to get something from him, but I got to join him. I have been blessed in my life. Blessed in my life. Oh, God, give us that. Give us that, dear God. Two more scriptures. This is Psalm 20 and Proverbs. Uh, Just turn there quickly. In Psalm 20. And I just say while you're turning there, if you can't claim this psalm, don't claim any of them. Because this is beautiful. What a provision. In Psalm 20, verse 1, the Lord hear you in the day of trouble. The name of the God of Jacob defend you. Send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. Remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifice. I'm telling you something, beloved. God remembers. And then in Proverbs chapter 3, the last scripture we're going to read. Proverbs 3. He tells us this in verse 9. Honor the Lord with your substance and with the first fruits of all your increase. So shall your barns be filled with plenty and your presses shall burst out with new wine. Now that sounds very familiar to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. If we give in faith because of relationship and we're joyful in doing it and we want to express the the, the generosity of God to other people. I I want to show them Jesus and God has given me the means to do it. Whatever that means is, whatever you have. And you begin to express the goodness and the grace of God looks down upon that and God says, you know what? I love that. I love it. And I am not going to abandon you. I'm not going to forsake. Now, listen to me carefully. God will be any man's helper. But most men will not let him. And it's not the fact that God would withhold his grace from anybody. He would not. But men do not know how to receive it. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, don't receive the grace of God in vain because it can be. 
and the lavishness and the goodness and the generosity of God that he is trying to pour out upon your life. Well, I don't have as much as so-and-so. My car's so pathetic. I, I don't even know if it's going to get me to work the next day or whatever. Start using your car to pick up people to bring to church and God will see it. And God will say, you know what? You bring people to my house, I'm going to get you a car. I'm not saying that's what he's going to do. <laughs> All right? But he could. You know, oh, I'm so embarrassed of my house, the roof leaks and everything else. And I just love to have Bible studies in my house. And I would just love to do that. But I, I'm just so embarrassed. It's just not nice and all of this. And then you, you just say, stop that and just put that away and just begin to open up your house. And if you get two people in there, you get five people in there and say, we're going to have a prayer meeting. All of a sudden the glory of God comes. And maybe one of those people in the prayer meeting that comes says, your roof leaks. It's really awful. I'm going to get you a new one. Oh, praise God. And people come by and they say, how did you do that? I know that you don't have any money to get a new roof. And you say, God did it. God did it. You know, and we just open the doors of grace to our life. We just, we open it up. We just believe God. And and guys, it's such an exciting Christianity. But the covetousness, I ain't giving no money. You don't have to. You're not hurting me a bit. You're just missing your purpose. And I don't want you to miss your purpose. Young guys, you can give. If you give a dime every week because that's your tithe and you think that's nothing. God says that's as much as a person who gave a million dollars. They're no more special to me. I saw what you did. I saw what you did. Nobody buys their way with God. Nobody. But we believe with God. And so I'm not by any means trying to tell you that you're manipulating God and you're putting him under this spiritual law that if you do this, God has to do that. I'm trying to tell you that there's a God of great willingness. And he just wants the people to believe him. And he wants the people to enter into relationship with him where the rubber meets the road, right? Because we can come here and we can sing and we can even go pray with some people. But man, when you begin to open your checkbook up, you begin to give money, you begin to help the poor, you begin to contribute to the needs of other people, you know. And, and, I, and I've seen it too. I, I, I tell you this, people that are in the greatest need, that are in a position in their lives, says, I really need help. Please help me. God, start giving. But whoa, whoa, time out, pastor. I need the help. Start giving. Open the windows of heaven on your life. Believe God. Go into a relationship with God. That little widow went and gave her two mites. And Jesus said she gave more than anybody else. This is an exciting God. It's an exciting life. And so I just want to give you this. Because in this world that we're stepping into... With all of the potential problems and persecutions that we could be facing in this coming year. If Jesus tarries in the years to come. Exciting times. Not depressing times for the church. It's depressing times for the lost. Exciting times for the church. I just tell you. Put yourself in relationship with God in a real way. I want you to stand with me. I want us to pray. I just want us to believe God for one another. Now listen. I want to say this to you while you're standing. I am so careful to say this because I believe it is true. You know, I could come and I could preach to you about love. And I and I could tell you, please listen to me. This this is the moment God has been waiting for. So please don't move around if you can help it. But I want to tell you this that I could come and I could preach to you about love and forgiveness. And that we need to love one another as God has loved us. And when I preach something like that. I'm not expecting anybody to come into the front and say, okay, 
I'm going to start loving people the way God loved me. Because you can't. You need a miracle. You need the Spirit of God to do that. I can talk to you about forgiveness and say, you need to forgive people. And you say, oh, I know there's some people in my heart I just haven't forgiven. Okay, I'm going to go down there and I'm... You can't. You need God to do it. You need God to do it in you. That's the work of His grace. I'm not by any means coming here today to tell you guys to start doing something in your strength or in your ability. This is my request, and I believe it is the request of the Holy Spirit. That I'm inviting you to join me in a relationship with me where I will be able to demonstrate my generosity through your life. I'm asking you to live by faith that I can provide for you. And I'm asking you to demonstrate my provisions and my goodness through you. Will you let me do a supernatural work in your heart? That will bring you into that place with me. And if that's what you want, come up here with me. And let's just begin to ask God. To do-